Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams continues the series, Encounter. This week, we look at Jesus and the rich young ruler. You can have everything but lack Jesus and you will have nothing. However, you can have nothing but have Jesus and you will truly have everything. What is hindering you from fully giving yourself to God? We're going to continue our, um, our encounter series this morning. This is the next to the last message that we're doing out of this series um, called Encounter. And we're looking at encountering Jesus through Jesus' encounters. How do we encounter Christ through the people he encountered in the scripture? And what do we learn from that? Today we're going to be reading out of Mark chapter 10. If you want to go there, dealing with the rich young man that Jesus encounters. We're going to be talking about him today. So if you have that and you want to turn to Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 17. We're going to read 17 through 31 this morning. Are you glad to be here this morning? It's, it's raining outside, but it's drying here. Thank God. And uh, it's going to be an awesome time this morning. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. As this man's face fell, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things, or all things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, No one has ever left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel. will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecution, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your offer, for your giving us the opportunity to come and follow you and to be a part of your kingdom, to be a part of the story that you're already writing all around us. I thank you for the lives you've been working in this week. I thank you for the hearts that you've been shaping and molding. I thank you, God, for the thousands of people around us right now who do not know you, and yet already your grace is at work in their life, and you're drawing them near. God, help us to intersect them and, and show them the joy and the, just the peace and love and all that comes with knowing you. God, we give this time to you now. I pray that your word would be anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit, that it would convict us and challenge us and Encourage us, God, to go and to do all the things, Father, that you have laid on our hearts to do. Let us do, Father, what our hand finds to do for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I had the dream life in the world's eyes at one point. I, family, big job, big corner office, two airplanes, nice car. 
I mean, looking at it from the outside, we had the perfect little marriage and the perfect life. And on the inside, I still felt like a fraud. And, you know, I was doing a lot of things that seemed to be the right things, like investing my heart in others. I was even being, I was involved in Bible studies. I was involved in my church's small group ministry. But looking back, I didn't know it at the time, but looking back, I was just doing it from this position to look at me. It was all from my strength. And eventually I got disillusioned and frustrated. Whenever I do things from my strength, that's the result. And um, through a series of events and poor choices, I ended up really disillusioned, really lost inside. And uh, I ended up getting a divorce, losing the job, seeking a life of addiction. And I uh, ended up having all those things stripped away to the point where by the end of that process, I was sleeping in my truck in the Walmart parking lot. I had gotten to this lonely place that uh, I, I, I no longer cared if I lived or if I died. I just hurt. And, um, and I was praying prayers like, God, just help me through this. Help me out of this. And, uh, and he did. <laughs> I ended up arrested, and I sat in a, in a jail cell, and I, and I absolutely had the anguish in my gut of, I can't believe I'm here. This is not my life. It just hurt inside. And I remember writing this prayer down. It was, God, help me learn to forgive myself and give me a new heart. And I put that piece of paper in my Bible, and I... Never saw it again for another two or three months, and I ended up in this Christian Rehabilitation Center for Addiction. And on a Sunday morning, the pastor was talking about, I'll give you a new spirit and a new heart. And he said, turn to Ezekiel 36, 26. And out comes this piece of paper as I flip my Bible open. And I looked down at it, and I realized I'd forgiven myself and I had hope. And that God had answered that prayer already. And I read that passage, and it was Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new spirit and a new heart. And um, it was kind of a nudge from God, like, hey, I got you. And it was so cool. You know, I don't have all that stuff I had back in the day. But I have more insight than I've ever known and a more real relationship with with our Creator and our God and our Savior and our Holy Spirit. And it, I don't know how to describe it other than it's a presence that I like these coincidences that I, I watch God place the right person in my path at the right time to give me the right message. It blows me away when I look for where God is. He's all around me. And after that time, I ended up moving to Statesboro. And within two days of coming here, I'd heard about Connection Church or Brandon three different times. It's like, I got to meet this guy. And I was at Snooky's Restaurant and and any walks at breakfast. And I'd been praying that God would put a mentor in my life because I had, by then, felt the call to be in the full-time ministry. So God, I don't know where what it looks like, but just use me. I want to do something that matters, to have a purpose. And so in comes Brandon, and I just knew in my spirit. Before, he, before I even knew him, I'd never seen his face. I just heard this voice that said, that's him. And... Uh, I consider one of those little God nudges. And uh, I said, Brandon? He said, yeah. And, and began that relationship. And uh, we've been meeting since. And, it, you know, I don't know where it's headed. I don't know where God's taking me. But I'm so excited about finding a way to be used in God's kingdom work.
I love you guys and I don't even know you. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to getting to know you. God is awesome. Is he not awesome? God is so amazing. It's been such a blessing getting to know Chip. What a miracle that you would find me in Snookies. I know that's hard. <laughs> I know that's hard to believe that I was in But yeah, I was there and I was getting some breakfast and, and Chip and I met. And it has been an absolute blessing to get to know you. Man, God has got so many plans for you. So much awesome stuff. He, you, you just have no idea, man. And I'm looking so forward to seeing what God does. Amen. Well, I'll tell you... Um, it's exciting to see how God works in people's lives. I mean, absolutely amazing. The testimonies we've heard over the last five weeks have been absolutely incredible. And I hope you're as encouraged by them as I've been because they have been absolutely awesome. Um, how many of you like to do puzzles? Anybody like to do puzzles in here? Yeah. I mean, they're, but they're like so addicting, aren't they? I mean, it's so addicting. Like you get, you get started and you got all these little pieces and you know it's nine o'clock at night and it's like Monday night, you got to go to work the next day or go to school the next day. And the next thing you know, it's like two in the morning and you're just standing over the puzzle like this. Anybody have a little drool coming out? You know, because you're just standing and, and everything's kind of blurred, but you're just, you know, you're bound and determined, I'm going to find the last piece of this puzzle and, and you, you start looking and you, and you start putting it together and then finally like three weeks later you're finishing this thing and you've been messing with it and finally you're down to like two three pieces maybe and you start looking and a piece is missing <laughs> man is it I don't know if that aggravates you that aggravates me so bad when you're putting something like that together and you get to the end there's just like a little hole right there and a piece of it's missing why does that bother me so bad because it's not complete right it's not it's not done it's not finished um date he loves legos that's my seven-year-old my oldest son he loves legos and so we'll put legos together but he throws the pieces everywhere it never fails we start putting one of these things together step by step by step by step and we get about three quarters of the way through we can't find the piece that we need because it's probably been sucked up in the vacuum cleaner or it got thrown away, or there's something that's happened to this one piece, and it just drives me crazy. Now, can we put it together a different way? Yeah, we can put it together a different way, but that drives me crazy. Why? Because it's not right. You know, the, the picture looks like this, and I want my Legos to look like that too. You know, it's just not right. Uh, I'm coaching this uh, little league baseball team, seven and eight-year-olds. If you ever pray for patience, just coach seven and eight year olds you will learn patience and, and um our assistant coach is this awesome guy he's an he's an older gentleman but he, he's been so much fun to coach with and um but the funny thing about it is he is bound and determined that every rule in that rule book is going to be adhered to and we have not had one game mind you seven and eight year olds that he has not argued with the umpire <laughs> and i'm over there and i'm going man i'm a pastor and he's a and, and I'm probably a little too much on the other side. I mean, I'm like, they got four strikes. It's all right. Just show them grace, you know. And, and you know, and so he's out there arguing, and, and, and I'll, I'll try to catch him. And he'll be like, you need to go out there, coach. You need to go out there, coach. I'm like, just, we'll handle it. It'll be all right. You need to get, and then here he goes. 
and he's off and I'm like whoa come back come back come back he's like no this isn't right that's what he says every time this isn't right and it just drives him nuts you know because it's just not right and it drives me nuts when we can't get those little Legos put together how many of you have ever heard of um, the five love languages you heard of that book some married couples go through that. Maybe you're dating somebody, you're looking to get married, and you're going through that. Well, one of the things it talks about in there is you can do all four love languages right. But if your spouse's love language is the one you're not doing, then you're missing the whole boat, right? I mean, you've got to get that one right. If it's affection, you've got to show affection, you know. You've got to be hugging and, and loving and touching and stroking the hair and, and everything. And, and, and if you miss one, it's just not right. It, it, it leaves them what? Unfulfilled. I feel unfulfilled. And so we've got to know those love languages. We've got to get those things right. We've got to um, make sure that, that every piece is together so that our spouse is fulfilled. The other day, one more story. The other day, we were out in the yard, and it was a Sunday afternoon, and we were talking about going to Mill Creek, the, the, the park out there off of Highway 24. For those of you who aren't around here, it's a little recreation apartment complex, and we were going out there to ride bikes and walk and get a little exercise and then have a picnic. And my, my oldest son, Dake, again, he, he has his little red bike. Well, Susan looked at it, and she said, you know, he's kind of too big for that bike. Why don't we raise the seat and the handlebars, okay? And so she gets over there, and... I don't know if this ever happens, but she starts it, and then I end up going over to finish the project. Well, I decide that we need to raise the handlebars a little bit more, and I'm usually the one that screws it up also. And so um, I go over to pull the handlebars up, and I just pull them, like, all the way out. And, but not just, like, the, the handlebar part, but the little anchor that was down inside there. And we couldn't get the little screw on the top to go back in. But here's my thought. There's another little piece that, that's on there that you can tighten down. I'm like, hey, we're good. No worries. Like I know better than the manufacturer, right? But, but I said, come on, Dave. We, we got this thing. We get a big pipe wrench. I'm just cranking down on it. He gets there. The handles are a little crooked. I'm like, hey, man, suck it up. You can do it. Let's go. And, and so he starts off. And, and we turn around to look and do something with Jackson. And I hear this. And I turned around and Dake's laying on the driveway. The bike's all twisted up, and, 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 and I look over, and the handlebars had just, like, totally turned around on him. And what happened? I mean, we were missing the screw that held that thing together. We were missing the piece that held it together, and it was absolutely dysfunctional, right? It didn't function. It didn't work. And I think that's where this guy was. This guy we just read about. He, he comes to Jesus, and he thinks he's got it all together. But what I want you to hear today, if you hear nothing else, I want you to hear this. You can have everything minus one thing and have nothing. You can have everything that you think it takes for life to work and to function, but if you're missing one thing, you've got nothing. You end up incomplete. You end up with a hole in your life. You end up where things just aren't right. You end up where it doesn't function. Life is just hard. It's just difficult because of one thing. So you can have everything minus one thing and have nothing. Isn't that incredible? And then Jesus comes along and he meets this guy who comes running up to him and he's so excited. This is Jesus. And, and he's like, mm -mm -mm, this is Jesus. And he's like, let me tell you, Jesus, about how good I am. 
And Jesus comes to him and gives him this awesome opportunity to follow him. He says, come follow me. Come be a part of my, my ministry. Come be a part of what God's doing here. And the guy misses that. I remember when I was, um, I guess I was a, like a senior in high school. Going into my senior year is actually what it was. It was the summer of my senior year. My cousin, who was a good bit older than me, was the manager of a Marriott in the Virgin Islands. Wow. That was awful. He's, he calls up one day, and I had another cousin who was my age. He calls us and he says, how would you guys like to come to the Virgin Islands for your entire summer break? I'll put you in one of our rooms. You can work as a bellhop, live off of tips, but you'll have plenty of opportunity just to be on the beach and to do all this. How many of you know that is awesome? We went down there, man. We had the best time. We were on the beach. We were doing all kind of crazy. We played golf. We met these two pretty little girls that their parents were rich. We went out on their yacht. Man, it was so awesome. I mean, we did everything you could imagine. I mean, we worked. We made a bunch of money. We came back home, and there was only one problem. We never went. It was awesome, but we never went. We didn't take the opportunity. I sit there and I think about that. And today, I want you to know, I still kick myself over that. I'm like an opportunity to spend an entire summer in the Virgin Islands. Free. Getting paid to be in the Virgin Islands. On the beach. And we didn't go. I'm like, wow. It's probably good, though. I probably would have stayed there and been a beach bomb, and, you know, that would have been absolutely awful. So, but, but we didn't take the opportunity, but what an awesome opportunity that we had. And here's this guy who comes to Jesus. Jesus presents him an offer that's even better than the Virgin Islands, that's even better than living life on the beach, as awesome as that would be. It's even better than getting paid to be on vacation all summer. And this guy turns it down? Is that not crazy? He turns it down, an opportunity to follow Jesus. And my question was this, why did he turn it down? We look at him and we're like, you are a nut. You didn't follow Jesus. But then the other question is this, why don't we? Why don't we follow him? Why are we so held back from fully giving our lives to following Christ? See, I believe this is, is true. Jesus meets this man. And is it not funny to you that when Jesus meets him, he says, why do you call me good? He says, no one's good except God alone. He says, you know the commandments. And he lists out, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Can you think of something that might be missing from that list? So I think Jesus was setting this dude up. Like maybe like the first, second commandment. Did not have another God before the one true God, to not make a carved image, make an idol to worship instead of God. So I think Jesus knew his problem. This guy comes to him, and, and Jesus begins to call him out. And so he's, he, he leaves out the first two commandments because, see, here's the thing. We look at this encounter, and what do we always look at being the problem? What's the problem we always look at? This interactive part. Money. Thank you, Tony. Money. We always look at it, the problem being the money. But can I tell you this? The problem was not the money. The problem was his heart. The money simply pointed to the problem. And Jesus uses the idol in his life to say, listen, you need to get your heart right. You need to get your heart right. 
you need to begin to realize that if you don't put God first, all your money, all your wealth is not going to matter. See, now, if you're like me and you have no money, then money's not your issue, okay? But there probably is something that continually tries to raise itself up ahead of God in your life. And what is that? What is that in your life that continually tries to raise itself up ahead of Jesus, ahead of following him. See, many of us are disillusioned in our life about what a relationship with God is all about because we've never, one, we've never really accepted God as our, Jesus as our Savior and followed God. Or two, because he's never been in the right place, we put him up there for a while and we move him all around like a pawn in some kind of game. And so he's never really been that focal point of our life. And so we're disillusioned about what a relationship with God is all about. We've missed the joy and the love and the peace and the patience and the power that comes from walking with God because we simply haven't put him in the right place. We haven't put him in the right place in our lives. And so we're disillusioned. And not only are we disillusioned, but we're giving everybody else an illusion around us because they look at us for the answers or did. And so we've got to get back to a place where we realize that putting him first, not having a God before him, is key. Listen, he, the, the second commandment. And see, some of you are like, well, that's the Old Testament, Brandon. <laughs> it's the Old Testament, but it's the same God. Amen. It's the Old Testament, but it's the same God. Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. And so he says, listen, don't have any carved images. Don't, don't have an idol in your life. Now, there's a chapter in Exodus, Exodus chapter 32. Moses goes to meet with God, and he leaves Aaron, his brother back there, who is his right-hand man, to take care of the, the Israelites. Now, when Moses leaves, he's gone for a long time. And they decide that they need a God. We need a God to worship so what did they do? They took up a, basically took up an offering of gold. Earrings, bracelets. I'm sure they had some nose rings in there. Whatever they could get their hands on that was gold, man. They put it all together and they made a golden calf. Now see, I have a hard time. When I see a cow, I think steak. I don't think God. You know, I thank God for the steak. But here he is and he, they, they see a God. He says, there's your God. Worship him. He's the one that brought you out of Egypt. How, how messed up is that? They're giving glory to this golden calf for all the wonders that God had done. And as crazy as that sounds to us, how often do we do the same thing? How often do we do the same thing? See, for some of us, our idol is the person we see in the mirror every morning. Right? We worship ourselves. In the United States, so many people worship themselves. What we see in the morning, boy, how can I please them today? See, there comes a point in our life where we have to decide, am I living for me or am I living for God and other people? And we've got to make that decision. It may not always be comfortable. It may not always be lined out perfect, but we've got to make a decision of who am I going to live for. The problem with many Christians today and probably all of our problems at some point in our life at some point in our walk, is living for something else is still an option. See, when you remove every other option, there's only one option left, and that is to live for God. 
to be transformed so that you can begin to be used to transform other people's lives. For some people, we could take an altar and build an altar and we could put a picture of our office and just put it right on the altar and we could bow down and we could worship that thing because that's where all your thoughts are. You might be with your family, but you're not with your family. For some people, you could take a baseball and you could put it on the altar. And that's what you worship. I did for a long time. That was my, that was my God. It was baseball. For some of us, we watch our idol every night. We watch our idol. Some of us, some of us, we drive our idol. Some of us live in our idol. Do we not? Some of us do. Some of us drink our idol. Man, it's quiet this morning. <laughs> but we do. What is it that's keeping us from the one thing that God wants us to have more than anything? That he would give his life, his own son, for us to have. What is it that's keeping us from that? So I look at this guy's life, and, and I, I tried to go through and just pray and identify a few things that may have been going on with this guy. Because, see, I, I think the only way that we can allow other things to come before God in our life is when, when we're disillusioned about who God is. When we, we have misunderstood who God is and what God's like and what he's about. See, the first thing I think this guy misunderstood was God's holiness. Because what's he do? He runs up and he says, good teacher. And Jesus, is it not amazing? Jesus always knew what everybody was thinking. And he says, why do you call me good? He says, there's only one that's good. And then he even tells him the commandments. And the guy goes, well, I have kept every one of those. And don't you know that this rich guy who's lived his life clean, he's never screwed up, he's never slept around, he's never drank too much, he's, never, he's done all these honored his mother and father, he's never stolen from anybody, he's never done any of these things. Don't you know when he saw Jesus coming down the road with this bunch of ragtag guys who he just got off of a stinking fishing boat or out of a tax collector's booth or something like that, don't you know that he looked at them and went, oh yeah, I can do this. If they're good enough, I know I'm good enough. Because they are really jacked up, and I am not nearly as bad as they are. So he goes up full of confidence and pride, and he says, listen, you know, I've done all those things, Jesus. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, really? And Jesus is not angry. He's not sarcastic. He's not mean. The Bible says he looks at this guy, and he loved him. So I think Jesus saw potential in this guy's life, just as much as he saw in Matthew or Peter or John. And he looks at this guy, and it says that he loved him. And he gives him the same offer he had given the other 12 disciples. Come and follow me. Why don't you come and be my disciple? Come follow me. And he turned it down. And I believe part of the reason was because he thought he could be good enough to do it on his own. He thought his life was okay. And then Jesus points out the fact that, listen, it's not okay. And it says he went... But went away sad and brokenhearted. Went away sad and brokenhearted. See, some of us in here today are trying to do this on our own. Some of you are carrying weights and burdens and guilt that God does not want you to carry. 
And some of you, we've got to realize, some of you are working so hard to try to stack the scale of good things higher than the scale of bad things. And so you screw up, you do something wrong, and then you go and you try to do enough good to outweigh the bad. Can I tell you this? You will never do enough good to stand before a holy and perfect God. The only way you will stand before him is when you have accepted the perfect sacrifice, the perfect life of Jesus. God did it for you. He knew you, nor I could do it for ourselves. So God did it for us. And some of us are worn, slam out because we're trying to live a good life on our own apart from the sanctifying work and the power of the Holy Spirit that comes into you and lives inside of you when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And some of us are trying to do enough good to outweigh the bad. See, it blew these Jews away because they thought that this man's wealth equaled approval in God's eyes. They thought that wealth meant he was accepted. And Jesus is basically saying, you're just as sick as these 12 guys behind me. Now come follow me and I'll show you the path to righteousness. I'll make you righteous. And then I'll even begin to manifest those righteous attributes, those righteous characteristics in your life. That's how much God loves you. He will not lower his standards for you, but he will raise you up to his standards. Is that not awesome? That God could have left us in this place of, of, of just being totally screwed up, washed up, washed away, and God comes in and takes us by the hand and begins to raise us up, wipes us off, cleans us up, and begins to produce the fruit of righteousness and holiness through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. I had a conversation with a guy one time. He was claimed to be a deist, which I just believe there's a God, but he's so far removed from people. He has no interaction, da 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 da, da. And, and, and he was so proud of the fact that he was a deist. And I said, really? I said, well, how do you get to heaven? He said, well, you just do enough good things. Your heart's just good. God knows your heart. If your heart's good, you get to heaven. If it's not, you don't. I said, oh, really? I said, well, how good does my heart have to be to get to heaven? He says, God knows. I says, well, I don't know. He said, no. I said, well, if I'm 76% good and you're 75% good, do I get in and you don't? Or if I'm 85% good and you're 70% good, does it, do I get in or do you? I mean, how does this thing work? I want to know. Where's the standard? Where's the standard for this? And the guy looks at me, he's like, oh, you, you, you're not making any sense. I said, no, I'm making perfect sense. Where's the line? No, no, it doesn't work like that. I said, yes, it does, because the standard is perfection. The standard is 100% righteousness and perfection. He's like, well, I don't know. I said, listen, short and simple. The only way to achieve the standard of God is through his son, because he places his perfection on you. Is it not amazing that every time somebody encounters an angel in the Bible, the first thing they do is fall on their face? They fall on their face at the sight of an angel. And yet the angels fall on their face at the sight of God. Does that not tell us something about the nature and character and awesomeness of this holy and perfect God that we serve? I mean, things that make us flip out and go, whoa, don't kill me. They're bowing and they're, they're around the throne singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It was and is and is to come. And, and we're going to join in that. Not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus does in our life and how he uh, works. The other thing I think he uh, 
misunderstood was God's faithfulness. How many of you, and you, can, you don't have to raise your hand, but I guarantee you that the majority, if not every single person in here, has been let down by somebody in their life. Have you not? Everybody. Yeah, you can nod or not and nod. But you have. Why? Because people aren't perfect. And what ends up happening is we take that mistrust of people and we place it on God. Do we not? Because if we truly knew the character of God and the nature of God, we trust him with everything we have. But we don't because we don't know him. And see, here's the thing. For us to totally surrender our lives to God, we have to be willing to lose control. Anybody else have a hard time with that? Man, I'm telling you, I hate to fly in an airplane. I know some of you love it and y'all think I'm crazy, but I just don't like being in a tube this 30,000 feet in the air. I don't like it. It does not make sense to me. I was not born to fly. God, if God wanted me to fly, he would have given me wings. And he didn't. So I'm thinking, I'm not supposed to be doing this. I cannot stand to fly. But you know, if I were the one flying the airplane, I think it'd be the most awesome thing in the world. It's just, I don't want some guy who I don't know what he did the night before flying me along at 30,000 feet in the air. I just don't care for that. But the thought of losing control... It, 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 it bothers all of us. It's that thought of, if I don't have control of my life, what am I going to do? What's going to happen? It's why I believe this. It's why I believe that death scares so many people so bad. Because there's an unknown, right? There's an unknown there. What's it like? Even those of us who go to heaven, we know what the Bible says. But you know, God always has a way of taking Scripture and just making it even more amazing than what we could ever think or imagine or the conclusions we could draw from the Scripture. So there's things that even we don't really grasp. I mean, how can we grasp God? We can't. Not fully. And so we come to this place where death freaks us out because there's a little bit of an unknown. Now, the closer we get to God and the more we know Christ, I know a lot of people are like, man, I'm ready to go. The Bible says that death is gain. And I'm like, well, cool. Right on, you know? But there is this sense of unknown, especially for people who are far away from God. There's this sense of death being this, this uh, just fearful thing because we just don't know everything it's going to be like. I believe that's why children and Susan are afraid of the dark. <laughs> it's because there is a sense of the unknown. And, and there's something. You never know what's lurking around that corner or what's in that closet or what's under that bed, you know? And truth be known, probably a lot of you are the same way. You, know, you go to bed, you look under there to see what's under there. Are you sure nobody snuck in there while you were gone? But yeah, we, we, we don't like things that are unknown. But as we come to know the character of God, we begin to fall in love with God. We begin to see more of who God is. We begin to learn, I can trust God. Once he brings you through the fire a few times, you begin to realize if he brought me through the fire last time, he'll bring me through the fire this time. And you begin to trust him. You begin to give him all of who you are. And it becomes a ride and a journey like you've never experienced before. Better than anything that you could possibly imagine. But we have to come to a place where we're really willing to surrender all to God. See, I don't believe that God's going to come take your house and your car. I mean, he's not like, you know, the government. They don't want to come and, he doesn't want to take all your stuff. All he wants to do is for it to be available. Listen, it's all his anyway. Why are we holding it back from him? It's not about money. It's about heart. It's about where's our heart? What's first in our heart? 
Are we living faithful to God? Are we willing to go and do and say and speak all the things that God would put on our heart? What are we, what's holding us back? Because listen, if we don't have this one thing, then we got nothing. We got nothing. And so we got to come to a place of recognizing how good God actually is. The last thing under this is, is I think this guy undervalued the riches of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed how the people in the world who look like they've got a lot of money and they drive the, the fancy car and they wear the fancy clothes and you ever notice how they really usually don't have a lot of money? Usually they have a lot of debt and not a lot of money and how the ones who are filthy rich so many of them, you see them, and, and they've got holes in their tennis shoes, and they've got, you know, just Walmart jeans on, or, you know, I mean, you see a lot of really wealthy people that you would never know it just by looking at them. And yet you come to find out, you're like, that guy has that much money? And it just blows you away. And what's easy to do is it's easy to miss their riches because of, of what they look. It's easy to miss the riches because of uh, the experience you've had with them. And I think with us and God, it's easy for us to miss his riches, miss the, the, the richness of a relationship with Jesus. I believe this guy undervalued that potential, that, that relationship that he could have had with Jesus Christ. He, he could have had um, such an awesome awesome life. One of the things that I think happens to us in the United States is we've got so much we feel like we don't have anything. Does that make sense? You ever notice how you never compare yourself to people who don't have and go, wow, I'm really blessed. We always look at the person who's got a little bit more than us and go, if I just had what they had, man, I would be so happy. And then it's, it's like the carrot and stick thing. And the devil, he loves to hang that carrot out because how many of us live our lives where we just get to this place where over the next hill is contentment? And I'll just keep running a little harder, a little harder, you know, running. And then over the, and you get there and it's not. And then so the carrot's still there. And so it's dangling and you go over the next hill and, and contentment's not there either. And so you just keep running and running and running until you're winded and you're worn out and you're tired. And God says, listen, if you just do things my way, you'd find contentment. You'd find contentment. Listen to this, Deuteronomy chapter 10. Two quick verses, 12 and 13. It says, and now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commandments and decrees that I am giving you today. Listen to this, for your own good for your own good but most of the time we would rather turn our back on God stick our nose up at God stick our tongue out at God and turn and go and do our own thing not realizing that what God's telling us to do is for our own good and the riches of God are found in that relationship the riches of that of, of, of the fullness of life is found in God. What's keeping you from the fullness of God? What's keeping you from the riches of a relationship with Jesus? What would it be? I mean, what is it that we need to move out of the way so that we can begin to follow Christ, so that we can begin to walk with him fully and completely? See, here's the deal. You and I, sitting here right here today, have the same opportunity that this guy had. This rich young man, 
the same opportunity. Jesus is offering that to every one of us today. Every one of us. So I ask you this. Are you fully living in this place with God? Are you fully enjoying a relationship with Jesus Christ? And if not, what is holding you back? What is hindering you from running this race that God has called you to? What's hindering you from joining in this story that God is writing all around you and that you could be a part of? What is it that's hindering you? I remember one time when I played football in, in high school. I was not very good, but I played football in high school. And, and I used to, the only reason I played was Friday night. I mean, come on, everybody, just be real. If you like football practice, then you need to go see somebody because something's wrong with you. Because football practice was not fun. I don't care who you are. Two-a-days, three-a-day practices during the summertime when it's 110 degrees is not fun. And we were at football camp one year, and we get out there, and we're practicing three times a day. And every day after lunch, we would go out and do our special teams practice. Well, we were wiped out, man. I mean, this is about midweek. We've already been run to death. We've sweated I don't know how much. And, and I start getting cramps. I cramped up in the locker room trying to get my pads and my, 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 my uniform on. I'm, I'm cramping my, I mean, my, my quads, my hamstrings. Everything's cramping up. And, you know, you straighten it out to get, get this one out. And then this one cramps. And you bend it. And then this one cramps. And so, I mean, I was in a mess. And they're like, Brandon, just don't go out. I'm like, no. I'm going out there. I'm, I'm going out there. It's not keeping me in. And so I go out there, and every time I would go on the kickoff team down the field, I would start to run, and every time I picked my leg up, my leg would cramp. And I can hardly run without my legs cramping. And so I'm kind of doing this stammering thing, trying to get down the field, but it was horrible. It was embarrassing. I mean, I couldn't do it. And I'm getting yelled at by the coaches, and I can't hardly even walk, can't hardly stand up, much less run. And see, here's the problem, is that some of us have these, these issues in our life that we need to get rid of, these things in our life that we know aren't right, and what they're doing is they're hindering you from running the race that God's called you to run. The same thing, and every time you pick your foot up to try to take a step, it just hurts. It's not pleasurable. Life is wearing you down. It's wearing you out. And here's the deal. God says it doesn't have to be that way. See, there's a mistake in Christianity today that says that a relationship with Jesus will cost you nothing. It will cost you. It will cost you. But I will tell you this, just as Jesus told Peter and those disciples, you will gain more than you could ever possibly give. So what are you holding back? Why are you holding back from God? Some of the greatest things, the greatest accomplishments that have ever been done, the greatest accomplishments that were done in the Bible were usually done during times of uncertainty, times when it took a step of faith to see incredible and amazing things happen. Some of the greatest things in the world that have been done were not done when everything lined up, when the stars in the heavens lined up and it was like, oh, and a door opened. It was not like, it was done in times of uncertainty. And God is calling us to take a step faith, to fully trust him. And I'm not talking about today and expect everything to be better tomorrow. I'm talking about making a decision that I am following Christ and I'm sold out living for him because he says it's for our good. We will always gain more than we give up. But what's hindering you? What's hindering you from following Jesus Christ? See, here's the thing. I told you early on, the one thing I want you to remember today is that if you have everything minus one thing, you've got nothing. But you can also take that and flip it around. 
And you can say, if you've got nothing, but you've got one thing, you've got everything. Because see, it's not just what you have. It's the riches of God in heaven that he pours out into your life. The provision that God pours out in your life. The joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things that he pours out in our life. So what is it that's hindering us from fully giving ourselves to this race that God has called us to run? I pray that today we would not walk away sad as this young man did. I pray that today we would not leave here thinking that somehow we are good enough on our own apart from God. Jesus looks, and some of you need to hear this, Jesus looks at you and he loves you. He looks at you and he loves you more than you could ever imagine. He loves you more than your issues. He loves you more than your your beer or your liquor or your pot, more than your shacking up with your girlfriend, more than anything that you could possibly imagine. He loves you. And that's love that's here for you today. Amen?